0: I want you to turn with me over to the Old Testament into a book of Psalm 22. We're going to go there, and uh, we're going to spend some time there. And uh, I have an hour and a half's message. Some of that was good. I think the silence hurt worse than the sound, That maybe. <laughs> I want to speak this morning as a as a Pastor. Of people. I want to speak to you, not to your neighbor, not before you and behind you or beside you. I want to speak to you. And I will tell you, I have pressed against what I know the enemy to be to, to speak a message like this. This is very what I call doctrinal and maybe theological, at least in some terms. I want to tell you something about doctrine and theology. Sometimes as we listen to it, we may read it, we may study it, we may be students. It cannot be as entertaining as some other things. But I will tell you this. It is doctrine and genuine doctrine and correct theology that when you don't know what to do with life and when you don't have answers, it is that substance and the knowledge of God that keeps you standing Before the Father. And so I don't want anybody leaving to go to the restroom. Too bad. Hold it. I want us to honor the Word of God this morning. We're going to read this chapter, and I I want you to want you to catch the, the weightiness of it. I want to talk about our God and our future. Because I'm going to tell you: if we have a future, we're going to need God. Amen. David wrote this. It's at a time of personal, very personal sorrow and struggle in David's life. But during this time, David's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He began to sing. Whether his his song was joyful or whether it was sad, I just know that he began to sing. And when he did, the Holy Spirit brought to and through him this great prophetic messianic psalm, Psalm 22. David literally, 800 years before the Lord's death, David wrote the prayer that the Christ would pray. Think about that. In the New Testament Gospels and in Hebrews 11, there will be quotations from this psalm in the spirit writing of the Gospels and Hebrews. Just to note that crucifixion, I'm not sure it was even heard of but it wasn't even thought about as far as a penalty of death when David wrote this prophetic psalm. And certain things are said in this psalm that never apply to David's life but to Christ's life. For instance, in verse 16 it will talk about the piercing of his hands and his feet. In verse 18 we will see where they cast lots for his garment. Psalm 22 was prophesied by David, experienced by Christ, and it is a pattern for you and me this day. How many of you got that? As we travel through this, I I want you to identify with it personally. You may not have been where David is and what I'm going to speak about today yet. You may be too young, but I will tell you this. Listen on purpose, because I want the Holy Spirit to teach you the past several months, most of you know I have gone through surgeries. I have, I've had a, a t- tough physical battle. I have never had such a battle in my life. It brings new meaning sometime, and I've learned it in an all new measure. In Him we live and move and have our being. I want to ask you as we read this to keep... That in mind. So I'm going to read Psalm 22. You've stood so much. Let's just reverently listen as I read. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let me stop and just say there's been a lot of joy this Christmas and a lot of fanfare and the like fun we've had today. But can I tell you behind the scenes, the last three or four months, I have had more phone calls as a pastor. Pastor, I need to talk. Pastor, what do I do? And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, Satan's fighting the Christian today. And so I want us to catch this and listen to the Christ, listen to his word, put your place there because there's going to be times in life when you don't have the answers and I want to try to help us with it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear in the night season. I'm not silent. But you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. I just want to make this statement right there. Sometimes you may feel like you're on the cross, but I want you to remember God's on the throne. You are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our Father trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Have you ever been ridiculed for what you believe? Anybody here ever been misunderstood and know the pain of being misunderstood? Verse 9, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help Listen at him describe it. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of bastion have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. This man is experiencing the deepest, most inner sorrow a human being can experience. But I know some people, ladies and gentlemen, who feel like their heart's like wax. And they feel like they've been poured out like water. Lord, what do I do? 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O strength, my strength hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And I want to stop here and tell you right in the middle of verse 21, there is a major change because God has put something in him. Notice the very next line, you have answered me. I want you to know that that verb is past tense. Be sure you catch that. I will declare your name then... My brethren, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him, He heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly I will pay my vows before those who fear him the poor shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him will praise the lord let your heart live forever at the ends of the world shall all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you how many are going to be present when the nations worship him for the kingdom of the Lord, he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust, one day, ladies and gentlemen, every knee shall bow before him. Thank God. Even he who cannot keep himself alive, a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. (laughs) I want you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to walk through this. That stark change at verse 21, prior to it is a pouring out of agony. And then beginning at that verse, it's a declaration of praise. There's a pattern in this psalm that I see that that particular verse sets. A pattern becomes visible. Verse 1 through 21a is a humiliation. And then 21b through 31 is an exaltation. Thus we have a pattern of the life of Christ. From his birth to his burial, humiliation. But from the tomb till he is... At the Father's right hand and exaltation. Here's the pattern, humiliation through sufferings, then there's the comfort. I know enough about humanity to know that when a man or woman's in pain and agony, physically and emotionally, he or she doesn't outline and categorize the groanings they feel. Yet there seems to be here a pattern. It it's What I want to call couplets. There's a complaint of the Christ and then there's encouragement. There is the complaint and then there is comfort. One author I read said he goes from a sob to a song. I love that concept. And there seems to be a progression in these couplets, if you will. Beginning with the greatest and moving to the lesser. The first one is this. He first is talking about his relationship with the Father. My God, my God. This is not concerning what men have done. This is not concerning what has happened among men. Something is passing at that moment between the Godhead. His focus is upward. He is looking to the Father and the Spirit and his relationship with the Father. Then he speaks to the relationship to him and men a reproach of men now he is not looking up he is looking out thirdly he's talking about his physical suffering now he is looking within himself we all go through these processes perhaps first the greatest agony and pain the human heart can experience and we who know God for any length of time get this A soul that has known something of the glorious presence of God and the glorious blessings of God and the glorious helpings of God and then be deprived of His presence. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the worst things you can experience. I recall David in Psalm 51 when he finally, after that horrendous sin with Bathsheba, he finally at one time said, God, do not let your Holy Spirit depart. Whatever it takes, God, get me back into your presence. And Satan, when we fail, will make us feel like, God, where are you? I've gone too far. I've drawn a line. And Satan will make you feel lonely. And he'll give you no answer and no direction. I want to tell you something. This psalm tells us when the pressure is on, it can be painful. Perhaps the second is the great kind of pain that men experience. And that's when men would misunderstand and slander you and falsely accuse you. I don't know of any greater pain than when you have meant the best and you have done your best and you have gone out of your way to try to help somebody's need and you're totally misunderstood and you're lied about. There's a pain in that that's almost indescribable. Anybody here, Everybody? anybody ever tell a lie about you? Thirdly, and perhaps the least kind of pain is physical pain. And yet, some of us in this room, many of us, if not most, can know the tremendous pain in the body. But can I tell you, I've experienced as a pastor, I've arrived in many a hospital room, and though the bodies were wrecked with physical pain, I've walked into a room of the saints because they had a consciousness of the smile of God and sometimes the help of tangible brothers and sisters with them in the room and the doctor may even may shake their head but their faces and their spirit radiate with the joy of God and radiate with the peace of God because their life speaks of the Christ. They may be on the cross but He's still on the throne. So I want to talk, I want to, talk to us these three complaints right quickly and then the comfort. First complaint was this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The great German doctor, Martin Luther. He sat for hours and pondered this verse in his heart. Praying, asking the Holy Spirit. Trying to understand this experience of Christ on this cross. And finally... He's recorded as throwing his hands up and saying these words. Oh God, who can understand this? God forsaken by God. This is the cry of the God-man, Jesus. This is the cry of the God-man who had omnipotent power equal to the Father. Father. This is a God-man who is suffering in immensity and he doesn't take advantage of his position, his power. He stays in the human realm, ladies and gentlemen, for my sake and your sake. You want to talk about meekness? Omnipotence in absolute, total control. This is the same Christ who could stand by the tomb of a deceased man by the name of Lazarus and declare, I know that you hear me always. And now he complains, my God, my God, are you deaf to my plea? The Christ is experiencing a most terrible loneliness. And when you read the gospel accounts of this moment, you'll find that heaven is silent. And in the aspect of hearing God, nothing was said. And that was a change. For you see, Christ was accustomed to to asking and hearing the reply from the Father. How many of you know it's a blessed thing when you say, God, help me, and God helps you? And that's that's what he was accustomed to. For example, at his baptism, God himself, the Father, took the initiative God Himself, in the form of a dove, lighted upon His Son's shoulder. And God Himself called out and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You just think about the fact that God has done that for each of us. If we truly know a twice born God has said, You're my son, daughter. He was accustomed to it. Look at, on both those occasions, and, and, and I could go and talk about the Mount of Transfiguration, but let me just go on. Both of these, of these occasions, there, were, there was no asking by the Son. God just spoke out of heaven and confirmed His delight in answering the request of His Son. But now, the Son asks, and there's no answer. So let's see if we can identify. Anybody here ever ask, and you felt like you didn't get an answer? Anybody here ever prayed twice or three times and the, the hyper faith people will say only pray one time because if you pray a second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth time they, they, say, they throw all the scripture away about the propensity and the, and the ability to come and say God, you know what, I really need this. Perseverance. <laughs> here he is, he asks and there's no answer. Let me say, but thank God, the rest of Scripture gives us the answer. Can I tell you that the answer is already there and the answer was coming? But for that particular moment, this Christ felt lonely? And and I thank God that the rest of Scripture answers this question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I do not want you to miss the answer That God gave it didn't come in the form of a verbal announcement like the lighted dove and this is my son I don't want anybody in this room or on Facebook to misunderstand this answer or I want no one to miss there is but one answer to the question my God my God why have you forsaken me? Paul will write to the Second Corinthians 5 and 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Paul wrote to the Galatians 3.13, He said to them, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And old Peter who had failed and he wept his way back to God said this through the Spirit who Christ who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree that we having died to our sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. The answer is this. The historic Christian doctrine, the absolute theological fact. It's the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ for the sinner, the sinful man and the sinful woman. That's why God forsook Him. God, bearing the wrath of His own divine judgment, Bearing His own wrath, designed for the sinner. I just want to tell you that, young people, hear me. I know this sounds theological, and I know it's not as entertaining as making you laugh. But I want to hear. I want you to hear something. Anything less than that is a mockery of the psalm and it's a mockery of the Lord's cry and it's a mockery against truth. There is only one name given in heaven and in earth whereby men can be saved because he's the only one that was rejected by God, the only one that died for us, the only one that resurrected, the only one that took our place. And our theological blood ought to boil when we hear somebody say, Well, there's just more, there's hundreds and hundreds of ways. According to the Lord God of all creation, who stood in nothing and spoke into nothing, and everything that exists came into being. That's the God that said, You come through this Son because I sent Him. It cost me to pay for your sins. And today, we're, we, we've, got, we've got grace so spread out so far that we can live like we want to, think like we want to, act like we want to, do anything we want to. And I'm telling you, we're that close to trotting the blood of Christ under our feet by this grace message that's taken far too far. Could I tell you, there is a grace message And I think God for her, I wouldn't be here. But I want to tell you the other part of the gospel. It's not just his blood has saved you. You're to obey him from that moment till the day you leave this planet. Obedience. The application to our hearts is this. He is the only access I, as a lost sinner, have to God. He is the only hope of any genuine mercy. He was forsaken that so God would say to me and to you, I will never leave you, Brooks. I will never forsake you. And when I feel like somebody's left me and I feel all alone and I feel like I've been forsaken and I know I've been misunderstood and I've been gossiped about and I've been criticized, Satan comes in and I feel lonely, 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 but this much I know. I may not can see him. I may not can feel him, but this much I know he is with me. I'll settle down. And let me just say that's a word of comfort to the saint. That's a word of conviction to the sinner. He is the only way to God. And He's God's only way to you. Now, in the midst of all that, in this silence, how does this Christ derive Himself? How does He derive this? Remember the couplet, the complaint, and then the comfort. How does He derive His comfort? I won't read it again, verses 3 through 5. Here's how he gets it. Don't miss it. He gets his comfort from the changeless character of God. Teenagers, young couples, hear me. I don't care what this world changes. God does not change, and he does not change his word. The changeless character of God. Secondly, the past dealings of God with His people. That's why it's important that we have children's church. That's why it's important to have VBS. That's why it's important that we have a youth ministry. Because we need to make sure young people have an experience with God. And He, while they're tender and while they can prepare, prepare their hearts. And while they can get this concept right in their minds because when Satan makes them lonely and they feel like there's no reason to live, the presence of God is there with them. They need to know that the God they knew when they were 5 and 6 and 8 and 10 and 11 and 12 is the changeless God and He's with them in that time. Here it is. In the midst of intense suffering, He takes solace in the fact that he knows this. I know one thing does not change the immutable character of God. And he said, You are holy. <laughs> I think we ought to take our shoes off. Whatever frown may be upon the brow of the Father in this circumstance on the cross, the Christ said, I know. My Father is holy. And then he looks at the past dealings with God and his people, verse 4 and 5, and he literally said this. I'm going to change the emphasis a little bit. He said, they prayed, they cried, and you delivered them. Can I, can I put some more with it without doing injustice? And you said you're no respecter of person. You say you never change. You'll say you never leave me. You'll stick to me closer than a brother. They prayed. They cried. You delivered them. I know you'll deliver me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's called faith. He takes comfort and comes to the place of expectation. My prayer will also be answered. And the lesson for us, let me just say it. Jesus is not only our Redeemer, Listen, He's not only our Redeemer or our Savior and our substitute, He is also our example. So, as we behold our Lord, when the Father's face was turned from Him, what did He do? There we can find our direction. There we can feel when there's no answer from God and it seems a cloud that covers God's face. There are two things you and I must get a hold of and let me bring it to more modern terms. Number one is this. Whatever... God is doing He is doing in perfect justice in perfect righteousness and in perfect holiness He is Lord and He changes not nothing will change the character of the eternal God and as pastor I find one of the marks frankly of spiritual maturity it is this when circumstances seem to break in upon the people of God in terrible sadness and in shocking devastations? What is the attitude to God in the midst of that? If I, they say, like Job, I know my Redeemer lives, though he slay me, he's, he's, he's back to the character of God and the past dealings. There's a difference in that in the people who begin to put a question mark on the character of God. They literally reveal their spiritual immaturity. For those who have walked with God and proven Him, say this I may not understand what's happening, and I don't know all the whys, but one thing I know He does all things well because He is holy. Sing Pastor, lift your hands and sing He's holy, you better believe it. And then they look back and take courage from the lives of God's people through the centuries. Look at the word, that's why the book's so powerful the faithfulness of God toward the blood-bought church. We can say, Lord, I'm one of your children. They cried, I'm crying. They called, I called. You answered, answer. Praise the Lord. Number two complaint, six through eight. Moving now from his relationship to the Father to men. Can I tell you that sometimes as Christians we don't have near as many problems with God as we do our fellow men. I don't want to say this because I'm not a good... I want us to live in victory and glory. But sometimes our wounds can come among us worse than what we feel like we're dealing with God. What did they do to Christ? Watch what men did. They, they degraded him. You know what he said? He said, I am a worm. I'm not even regarded with the dignity of a human being. They treated him like an animal. He said, I'm a worm. A, a worm is it, kind of a contemptible thing, it's helpless, it's the, the essence of weakness. And all it can do when it's crushed is just feel its own pain and writhe. It has no ability to defend itself at all. Our Lord, our Lord, the Lord of glory, was willing to take that position. The object of worship of angels and cherubim and seraphim degraded to less than... Humanity, ladies and gentlemen, they degraded him. Secondly, they despised him. He said, "I am regarded as with no worth." Anybody ever felt like nobody cared for you at all? I must hurry. Thirdly, he was derided. At his worst moment, they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him, young people, for what he believed. They mocked his testimony. God had thundered out of heaven, this is my son, but they mock him. And these knew, now they say, let him prove it. I want to ask you something. Do you think Christ had before the cross proven himself to be the son of God? How many miracles does he have to... Give. how many people does he need to heal? How many winds and waves does he say? Just go through all of that. And they get him on the cross. This is how men are. What have you done for me the last two minutes? Young girls, he'll say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But mark it down. If it's not genuine love, it'll always have a condition. But genuine love will not be conditional. Hello, I could I could go along the dire- direction right there. They said, "Prove it. Come down off the cross. Let your father speak out of heaven." Fourthly, they forsook him. Even the disciples fled, and lastly, they devoured him. They crucified him, let him die. It's a picture of a helpless man thrown in a den of healthy, well-fed beasts. That's how our cross felt. Now in the midst of all that from men, where did he get his comfort? What does he grasp? When having a sense of separation from God, he grasped hold of the changeless character of God in his past dealings. And watch, now when he's degraded, despised, derided, forsaken, devoured, his comfort... He thinks of his physical, lifelong, you read it in verse 9 and 10, relationship to the Father. He recalls the time that he got to planet earth. God had communion with him. All through his 33 years, he walked with him and trusted with him. He had fellowship with him. He recalls how the Father for those 33 years has sustained him. He watched him protect him while he gave his testimony and while he derided the Pharisees and on and on. And he saw him as he preserved him. And watch this. Even at his birth. Born in circumstances of a dirty cow stall. Here he is. The flight to Egypt. Because the, the politician rulers thought him a threat. And did, killed all the boys. Two years and under. For 33 years. The providence of God has sustained this son. And he. He, he pointed to it. What's his, what's his comfort? I was cast upon you from my womb, is what he said. Where's his comfort? Here it is. I have been, if you've been with me all these days, months, weeks, and years, you will be with me now. And if there's anything that we can learn from that in 2019 and live it out in 2020, it is this... Past mercies become the basis of faith on the present difficulties and future deliverances. Christ is speaking as a human being so we can understand. So when we arrive at circumstances where men deride us, when we've been thrown into a den of lions, if you will, where the bulls surround us, what are we going to do? I know what in my flesh I like to do. How many many have ever just been mad? How many would like to take things into hand? Flesh wants to raise up and fight all the bulls. But the example of truly being Christ-like will cause us to look at past favors of God, past mercies of God, receive the awesome providence of God having brought us this far and give us present strength for the present situation, and that comes on the grounds of faith for the future. Thirdly, and I won't be long, here's the complaint. We'll get the verses 14 through 18, pictures of crucifixion and his death. Notice these are in reverse order. I'd like to read it for you. I won't take time, but I will just tell you. The... the. Order of it was verse 18, 17, 16, then 14 and 15. Here was the order of it, three steps. They stripped him. They crucified him. They let him die. And what consolation can he find when he had gone through that? A lot of phrases are difficult here, verses 19, 20, and 21. But scholars have searched this, and thank God I I search it and find it. The drift of the thought here is this. In and from all this suffering, the Christ rose to a stirring faith. I stopped when we read it. All that that happened, all that wounding, all that rejection, 21B, you have heard me. So in 2019, and the Lord tarries in 2020, can I just come to a bottom line for us? What is the purpose of it all? What is the reason for it all? I, I just, I go, Lord, if I'm to identify with this Christ, have you ever asked God or had a question, God, why did you let them do this to your son? Have you ever had anybody ask you the question, well, if God was God, why didn't he do something about the death of his son? Why didn't God heal everybody? Why would God let this tragedy happen? Why would God let all that happen? Why would God all this? I just want to tell you, be careful what you assign to God and what actually came when Adam and Eve failed and sin curse was placed on this planet. Be careful what you assign to a holy, just God. Wow. <laughs> What's the reason for it all? I'm going to try to give you some answers in the next couple of minutes for your life. Young people, I hope you note them. If the Lord tarries, I hope they become part of your life. Verses 22 through 31 reveal the eternal purpose. The fruit of His living, His suffering, His dying, His resurrection, His exaltation all of that was for the glory that would come to God, and God will have what he has forever wanted a people that will love him wholly he He will make a church a people. Ephesians five said that church was wooed and won and purchased. By his blood, he loved the church and gave himself for it. Secondly, God will be greatly honored and glorified in that church. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you ever glorify this pastor or any preacher here. Let me tell you, all of us are flesh. Let only the Christ be glorified in Christ's legacy church. Third, the church will have some specific distinctives. Why are we here? Why do we do this every day? Pastor, I'm trying to help you in troubles of life. You need to get this in a basic concept in your mind. Here's one of their distinctives we will be made up, the genuine church will be made up of true convert, converts. They, they recall their sin, watch this, and turn to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I need to say this to the world on Facebook. Jesus Christ did not die to have a church of mere professors. Christ died to have a people who would hate their sin. Who would hate that it caused him so much suffering. Who would hate what it does to their own bodies. And hate the fact that it killed God's son. They hate it so much they will turn from their sin and choose him to be the goal of their life. And if you do not hate your sin and you're not smitten with the absolute depth of your depravity until you know what it is to be totally lost... Then you don't understand what it costs God to purchase you for eternity. You turn from it. A distinctive would be this church would extend to the ends of the earth. And lastly, this church will be perpetual. And that's what I want to end with perpetual. Are the singers here? Is it Henry? I want you to listen, I'll be through. I am called upon to answer many questions, truthfully, frankly, in the human frailty of humanity. This may come a shock to you, but I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers. And how many of you know things can get complicated? Anybody here ever been where life got complicated? But I will tell you this. How many of you in this room know that you know that you know you have repented to the Lord and your sins are under blood? Let me see your hand. You're not ashamed of it. Let me see your hand. I want to tell you by raising your hand and making that confession, here's something we need to keep in mind. We are a part of a great big plan. We made what it cost God worth it to Him one more time when we said, Father, forgive me. Cover me in Your blood. Make me Your child. And I just want to end by saying, and to the God of all providence, I place my trust and my future into his eternity because he's the only one I trust forever. Pastor, why didn't God heal this person? Sometime I don't know. Pastor, why did this happen? Sometimes I don't know. But I do know this, his character never changes. And I've been loving him and walking with him since I was five years old. And I've seen him do miraculous things. I've seen him show up when I should die. As a matter of fact, a total of five times. If I were a cat, I only got four to go. Five times. I could tell you some miraculous stories. they're not explained let me just tell you one I was 16 years old driving a two ton Chevrolet truck headed west on a Kansas highway with a John Deere combine up on the back of a truck had a twenty-six foot header sticking out over the top of the cab. Now they take them off and drag them little trailers behind. But I had it up there. I'm sixteen years old. Now, I've been raised on a farm. I'm not an officer at driving. But at sixteen, sometime you 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 you, uh, you don't have it. You don't have the experience you have at sixty. I was listening to the radio and I was driving down through there and my, this big old header stuck out and I'm doing 70 miles an hour. That is not smart. Hadn't seen one in a long time but suddenly I came down a little hill and there was a curve and down that little hill and then that curve was one of these big metal bridges. I don't know how wide highways are. But that bridge looked like it was about that wide. That wide. Out of pure fear, 16 years old, I cannot shut this truck down. And just about the time I got 50 yards before I got to it, I saw a semi-truck coming in the other side. I was shaking. I hit the middle of that road and in a second I heard the sign, the combine, the header hit a sign on the other side of the road. And I looked back and that semi-truck was headed east on the other side of the bridge. And I'm going to tell you something. You can question that. You can think I've lost my mind. But I want to tell you something. God supernaturally, for whatever reason, totally spared my life that day. You say, preacher, I don't believe it. I don't care. I pull that truck off to the side. And a Kansas state trooper pulled up side of me and I got on the ground I was shaking so bad I went to crying, the 16-year-old man that I was. I thought I was invincible and could tear that truck all to pieces. I sat down on that ground and I shook and I cried like a baby. Fear, yes, but I knew that God had a purpose for my life. God had a purpose for my life. Let me just say this, you're no less important to the Father. Don't you let, don't you let what happens to you in this world ever let you forsake God. Young people, this whole world looks like to me it's coming apart at the seams. Put your hand in the hand of a nail-scarred God who is unchangeable.